Hey everybody, it is Richard Harrison, Scott Lease here with another episode of our podcast. But of course, first, as always, we have a special guest announcer for our sponsor. So I'm going to go ahead and run that through for a second. Then we'll introduce you to our guest. In this world, you need leads now. And Lead 411 has got your back. What is Lead 411? A fucking great lead provider. Lead 411 has unlimited mobile direct phone numbers, intent data via role changes, jobs, and company intelligence. Critics are calling them sensational. And don't forget their slick Chrome extension that plugs into LinkedIn. This summer, step up to the big leagues and join the most comprehensive sales intelligence solution in the market. Lead 411. We should actually run the video. I should actually share the screen so people can see him yeah. do that. But yeah, the it's, best... funnier. it's funnier when you see him doing yeah. it. You realize he's an actual human. Right. And of course, you know, the reason we did this is because Scott, who loves sales scripts, didn't know how to actually read a good script, didn't know how to practice it and make it his own, be authentic. So our our sponsor, Tom Blue, which we appreciate, went out and did this and uh course we love it so but without any further ado uh, it's not about scott it's not about richard it's not about uh our our deep voice guy it's about jacqueline nicholson jacqueline thanks for joining us today and, and give people a, a a little bit of background on you what's your title where are you at what kind of sales cycles are you used to just so they have context as we have the conversation today yeah, for sure. The crowd goes wild. Uh, Jacqueline Nicholson's here today, um, calling in from Northern California. Um, so, gosh, I have sold almost everything. So I've sold hardware back in the day. I'm selling IoT wearables right now. I've sold software. I've sold things that defy a category, um, subscriptions before they were subscriptions. And so I think I've seen sales cycles from, you know, getting a, an order in a week or two and something that, you know, took 10 months to to come to fruition. So I've done a little bit of it all, um, been carrying a quota formally for 20 years and uh, quite a few customer facing things before that. So done a little bit of it all. It's, uh, and actually was, I started sales in the dot-com heyday. So I am not 27 and uh, actually used to work in the pharmaceutical and biotech industry before I ever started selling. But how, how did you get into to selling because as you told us before you have a um, engineering degree or computer science degree or something like this like how did you end up becoming a salesperson yeah it's it's interesting so i have a bachelor's and a master's in engineering from the university of illinois and some point in that journey um, the way i put myself through grad school was to be a teaching assistant so i taught drafting to freshman engineering students and it was in the days when autocad was first being created and so I taught drafting in AutoCAD to these freshman students, and I really liked being up there talking to people, educating people, and, you know, having a platform to, to be on to talk with people. And so I, you know, I, I took note of that. I really liked speaking in front of people. I liked doing that. And um, when I landed my first job out of school, it was as a sales engineer. And I, you know, I was enjoying it, but I seemed to, you know, I realized that the, the folks who were selling were having a lot more fun than me. And because of the experience I had super early in my career, wound up working for um, a big pharmaceutical company 
and um, really loved the mission. It was Johnson & Johnson. I was working for J&J, loved it. And I ended up um, taking a role after working in clinical research and development um, over for J&J Corporate. And I worked for this really interesting fellow. So at J&J, there's a definite hierarchy. You work for a manager who works for a director, who works for a VP, who works for another VP, who works for these people. It's like very specific. I get this role in this group um, at the corporate uh, IT organization. It was called um, New Business Development. And our job was to figure out how J&J was going to take new technologies and use them for their business. And mine in 1995 was the internet. So I was like, oh, what's the internet? Well, we had a handful of scientists at J&J who were accessing the internet through a dial-up connection and yet a few people experimenting across the organization. And we realized very quickly that this was an interesting technology. So I actually reported to a director, which is in and of itself unusual. My director gets called into a special project. So now I'm working for a VP and I have a cross-functional team around the world basically people in Australia, people in Belgium. And it was my job to kind of figure out how J&J &J was going to use the internet. So we launched at that time J&J.com and baby.com. And I worked with trademark and patent attorneys at J&J corporate to get our domain names back. Somebody had stole bandaid.com or monistat.com. So that was my world. I was in my 20s. It was the weirdest time of my life. And I had a VP who was just very empowering me for, to me. So, you know, my director was, look, get forgiveness, not permission. And I worked for a VP who told me to keep the purchase orders at the level he could sign for and just to manage the project. So it just sort of unleashed me in doing this. And so I'm having the time of my life, but guess whose name was at the corporate switchboard at Johnson & Johnson for any vendor calling in about the internet? You. Me. I got calls. 50, 60, 70 calls a day. Because think of this, email between companies wasn't a common thing. And so I got phone calls all day long, vendors wanting to meet with me. So I would decide who I would meet with. I would listen to their presentations and I literally wanted to fall asleep or, you know, smack somebody. Because it was just about how great their product was, how great their product was. And I remember sitting there thinking, do you even know what we do here? Like, do you know what J&J &J is? Do you care what we are? Do you know what we make? Can I quiz you? I just wanted to like set up a vendor quiz. So anyway, I is there one? <laughs> yeah. And feel free to drop a name, particularly yeah. if they've gone bankrupt. Um, but um, is there one in particular where you're like, oh my, like, you know, yes, all these were terrible because they were all about them, right? Like in sales, we know you don't talk about yourself, right? Yeah. Is there one in particular that sticks out where you were like, oh my God, like time literally stood still. And, you know, I almost, you know, died and sort of decomposed sitting there. Yes, it was, uh, it was the internet service providers were the worst. So remember ISPs, like, I don't even know if these guys even exist today because it's now it's like a utility. And we actually, we saw this as a utility because my job was to go around to, to heads of VP, like VPs of IT and finance at J&J &J operating companies and explain to them how this was going to be great that everybody would be able to access the internet from their work computers. And most people were pretty cool. Others were like, well, people will just waste their time with that. That doesn't seem like a good idea. Like we can sign up for benefits. They can do things. Anyway, uh, it was internet service providers like MCI, which is out of business. And, but my bottom line was I sat there and I kept thinking, so what? That's, you're the fastest. You have the best heart. IBM was like, like trying to sell me on their hardware and we wanted to buy Sun hardware, which doesn't even exist anymore. And so I just remember the so what factor. And I talk about that a lot. And so 
when I went into sales, because I, I learned from that process that I absolutely, from going out talking to these executives around J&J, I was basically selling this internal project and I loved it. I never felt so vibrant. I was like, that coupled with the grad school experience was like, I need to be in sales. And I had a great mentor at J&J who said, well, nobody's going to just hire you into a quota carrying role because you've never done this. And so we kind of created a path for me to kind of move from where I was at J&J go to a company where I could be like a consultant, a client partner, get that client facing experience and then slowly pivot. And that's what I did. But the driving factor was besides the energy that it gave me was the so what factor. And so I swore I would never sell the way I was sold to because it, it was, it was awful. It was awful. You it was all about them. You literally sold the internet. <laughs> to J and J. I mean the, the concept I, of using it. Yeah. It's pretty, it's pretty wild. 1995, I was a freshman it's in weird. college, and I had no <laughs> idea what the internet was. What's yeah, it's weird. I it's weird that. to think about it. I was it. selling classified ads at a newspaper. <laughs> I have a question for you, and it's something that yes. we have not had a chance to talk about, maybe ever, on, uh, on, the, on the Servant Sales Podcast. And that is, what makes somebody a good sales engineer? Oh, that's to me, for me, like this is just my perspective and I've worked with so many amazing sales engineers. Like I think of, you know, um, Robert Unger, Brian Ivanovic, uh, people who without ever letting anybody know that they're doing it are just absolute lethal salespeople. So they are uncovering problems and pain and like turning the knife, twisting the knife just a little to make it hurt a little more, you know, so you think about probing questions, you think about uncovering pain. That's what a good sales engineer will do without even really necessarily realizing how themselves that, how that different and then how is that creating it. What a good value. AE will do though. Yeah. But see, everybody knows that the AE is trying to sell something. Nobody really thinks that the, the sales consultant or engineer or, you know, whatever companies call them these days, uh, they don't think they're being sold by those people, but they are. But in a way that is creating value, in a way that's solving problems, and it's not trying to be shady. It's not trying to be, you know, it, to me, it looks like a sales ninja thing. And to them, it's not. They're just, they're just trying to solve a problem. And to me, that's what sales is anyway, right? It's solving a problem. That's what engineers do. So my old CEO at Percolate, uh, Noah Breyer, uh, just loved people who became sales out of become, you know, being engineers because he's like, engineers are the best salespeople because they solve problems and that's what salespeople should be doing. So, so does it make sense that, you know, the sales rep, the AE is, is the bad cop and, and you're the good cop as a sales engineer. Is that sort of the old school play or still the current play? I've seen that dynamic before. I don't think it really works today. I think transparency wins the day today. And I think that's, to me, the best sales engineers are just transparent people. Like, you know, like in sales, if somebody asks if this is a problem, you're going to say it differently as the AE. You're going to go, well, you know, you'll spin it a little bit. The sales engineer is like, no, we can't do that. Right. What, and, um, and we're sitting there going like, oh, no, did he say that? So, did she say that? So when, when does a company need a sales engineer in the process, right? Yeah, that's what I want to know. What is, what How is, complex does it need to be that you need to, that it, that it, and, it, and maybe it doesn't need to be complex because to your point, there's this transparency that occurs when you bring more people, like yeah. the more people you bring to support your sales, you know, the better the customer or prospect feels simply because, oh, they see there's this organization and smart people behind the salesperson. 
yeah. This, yeah, you know, this is this is such a fun conversation because I, I hadn't even thought of this, but I would say my gut reaction to that is when it's a very technical sale. So if your sale is to an IT organization, a security organization, if you're it's a technical sale, you're you should have you know, solutions consultants or sales engineers, whatever you'd like to call them, because I don't want to be selling, you know, a cloud solution or, a, you know, a, a spam filter or any kind of IT sale without somebody like that at my side, because I don't want to be an expert in the products the way they are. But when it comes to if I'm selling to a marketing executive, if I, because I've sold to all different types of buyers. So, um, and this is in no way a reflection of these people, but my least favorite sale is to IT. I love IT people. It's just not, that's not who I've really enjoyed selling to, not because of anything they've done, but just, I just don't necessarily resonate. So for me, when I've sold to marketing executives, when I've sold to M&A professionals, when I've sold to business development executives, when I've sold to the C-suite, that tends to be a better spot for my skills. And in those scenarios and those solutions, you don't often need a sales engineer until you get to the evolution of the company where you need it. So at Percolate, when I was there for several years, in the early days as AEs, we demoed the software ourselves. I want to Pause for a second. Wait, yeah, wanna, sure. When you said when it ever when it when you hit um, an evolution. evolution in the company, yeah, or the what product, is, what does that mean? Yeah, so what I'm th I'm thinking about a startup. So at a startup, a lot of times AEs will wear many hats. So the company I'm at right now, which is Kinetic, which is a fabulous company, I wear many hats. So I will talk more in depth about the product, and I know when to bring in a CTO or somebody from the product team. Um, but there's no concept of a sales engineer at our company in our evolution and growth right now because we don't need that just yet. So we're not at that point in our growth. So when I'm talking about the growth of a company or the evolution of a company, you know, as you grow, as volume goes up, as the sale becomes more detailed is when you start to, at least what I've seen so and what do you mean? experience. So, so what's that difference though in detail? Like to your point, you go from evolution to now it becomes more detailed. What mm -hmm. kind of detail? Well, when people start talking about um, GDPR compliance, for an example, or if they're talking about, you know, uh, security logs or, you know, doing uh, SOC compliance and things like that, a lot of AEs, if we're technically minded, we can handle a certain level of the discussion. But as you start to sell to Fortune 500, Fortune 100, Fortune 50 customers, the sale becomes so complex that you just, you don't want to do it alone. It shouldn't just be the AE representing the product anymore, right? Right. So I think it has know, to do with customers as well as the growth of the company. What, what I'm going to flip it on you. It's okay. What, how bad is it when an AE just sort of sets a meeting and then says, hold for sales engineering, hold for, hold for Jacqueline. Right. Like <laughs> you, you still see, I, you know, and so my last sort of real job where we were working with sales engineers was 2011 and 12 and we were doing API management and it was, that was still considered pretty cutting edge of the internet at that stage mm -hmm. of the internet, like where right. basic companies could do APIs that, that they didn't realize they had. Right. So uh, our sales reps, to your point, were very tech minded up until a point, but occasionally you would sort of see that rep come in and, and go, well, just, no, I don't know. Hold on. Um, I've never that done that. that <laughs> What's that? I've never done that. I, I would rather say to someone, you know, I don't really know the answer to that, but I can get that answer to you and get back to you. Which That's what did. I prefer to do. I was, I've just sort of seen sometimes AEs become the SDRs for the sales engineers, right? Um, <laughs> I don't so, want to do that. Yeah. I, I don't want to do that. I agree. Um, 
how's it been you know being on the on the tech minded side right and um gonna go a little deep on this but uh both in sales and in the engineering side you know being a woman in this role because it's i think oftentimes it's seen as a male dominated role on the tech mm -hmm. side um you know we're starting to see great things like you know girls who code and you know some of those things how was that through your evolution? Because you, you know, as far as I'm concerned, you're an OG. Like I'm sitting here going, why weren't you the CEO of Google or Yahoo at some point, right? Like that's sort of, if you were doing this stuff in 95. <laughs> I don't know. I should talk to them about that. I think I can go back. Now, sure. I, I think from my perspective, um, I define success very differently. So to me, success is being the woman my husband would marry again. It's being the mom that my kids are proud to introduce to their friends. And it's being the person my boss would hire again. So I define success in ways that is very much about, am I the person I aspire to be? And if I am that person, I can have wild success in the midst of some of the most trying times. So, you know, when I was in engineering school and when I was in this field, yeah, it was male dominated. But I think, you know, I... I refuse, I refuse to play a victim card uh, for any reason. You know, I can't control that I'm a woman. I can't control where I was born or what color my skin is or what creed I come from. I can just control being the best version of myself. And so it kind of breaks my heart when I see people wanting to you know, claim some sort of victim status for whatever reason. We have enough problems in the world where people truly are you know, discriminated against that without like sort of making it up on the fly or, or crying, poor me, you know. I think that for me, the, the, the most frustrating part of my career was when I was probably too immature to realize how to handle it properly. But, you know, you, you do experience situations where you're sitting at a conference room table and you try to speak up and you're just talked over. And if you exhibit the same behavior that the person who just did that, you, you're a bitch or you're aggressive or you're this or you're that. And I often found that like the feedback you'd get from people was kind of hilarious. So if I was really vocal and, you know, forward, I was too aggressive. And then if I was really trying to tailor it to this, I was, I should speak up more. I was like, oh my God, like, I can't keep up with this shit. Like, let's just be ourselves. Can we just be us? Can, is that okay? Can we just. So how do you, <laughs> so how do you, you know, go back and either give yourself some advice, you know, and, and granted it's very, you know, the early 2000s and late nineties was very different. Sure. Oh, yeah. is now. now is better, right? Now is better than I hope than it used to be. But what advice would you give to you know the woman who's sitting here listening to this, whether they're a, a salesperson trying to get promoted, maybe a sales engineer who's running into this same challenge? Um, what kind of advice would you like to give yourself back then or, or now? I would, well, so I, I am who I am today because of all the decisions and choices I've made, good and bad. And I love who I am. And so I don't regret anything in my past that has led to where I'm at today because it's all part of that tapestry that's been woven. And I believe that really strongly. And, and the reason I say that is because it, it actually came, uh, I used to travel a ton, you know, from like 2008 to 2014 more than half my time outside the country. And I remember picking up a newspaper at one point. I don't remember what year it was, but it was, uh, there was a Garrison Keillor column in it. And it was called, the title of the column was The Pictures on My Phone. And it was, he was talking, it was a column 
talking about his cell phone. It's like an old flip phone. He had a grainy sort of bad quality picture of his granddaughter on the phone. And he sees the picture and he's writing about how he's thinking about his life and all the stupid shit he's done. And like, oh, I fucked up. I did this. You know, I shouldn't have done drugs or whatever, you know, whatever it was. And he was just like, but then I look at the picture of my granddaughter and how can I regret anything in a chain of events that led to her existence? And that just smacked me like upside the head. I was like, wow. What a radical perspective. And so I try to adopt that. There are times when I regret or think this or that or the other thing. So while I wouldn't give myself any advice, I would give somebody like me advice. Don't, don't overreact and like make decisions when you're upset. Like I've made a lot of decisions in my life when I was upset. I probably would have made better decisions had they not been based on emotion. That's the one thing that I strive to do differently is, you know, people, some people call it like the geographical cure. Like I'm really unhappy my job. So I'm going to leave my job or I'm really unhappy with this. So I'm going to do this. It's like, if you're really unhappy, you're probably just unhappy and you should work on that first and then make your decisions. So that's why like my focus is around, sorry, my focus is around being the person I aspire to be as opposed to, you know, I want to, you know, I'm going to do all these things and have all this money and then I'll be happy. No, I want to be this person because when I am that person, I, and this is what I teach people. I mentor and coach is if I am that person, if, if I'm the best version of Jacqueline I can be, I'm going to do the right things and I'm going to have a lot of success. And so that gonna, I kind of pivot it. I'm going to go dig in a little bit more on this. Um, sure. And then I'll let Scott ask some questions because I know I'm dominating. Scott's like, what the hell, man? I want to talk. Yeah, not even Dude, okay. this is my freaking podcast. What's going you're on? Go, you're, going, you're going into my space of, of mental health, which is, you know, my thing, a thing of mine. Um <laughs> But for advice, right? What, I, what I'm really trying to get, and I love that perspective on life and owning yourself and own it. And and, and I love that story about the granddaughter. And I, I literally just took a note on that. I thought it was beautiful. But let's say I am this salesperson who is getting spoken over in a meeting, who is not being heard. What advice can we give them so that they can feel comfortable finding the right way to be heard? Yes, sure. there's some internal stuff we all need to do, right? That we can all get better mm-hmm. at. But I'm looking for something tactical, you know, aside. Sure. Oh, totally. I got a great tool. So think of a big capital U, right? So usually those things are going to involve a difficult conversation, right? You got to get to the heart of the matter. You got to, so start by being authentic in who you are. So whatever you're good at, whoever you are, be authentically that. So you start those difficult conversations. So it's with a boss, it's with a colleague, it's whomever, a customer even. And you have to do it. You've got to start very positive. So let's say, you know, I have an issue with, you know, I was supposed to get a raise and I didn't get the raise. So I got to talk to my boss and like, you know, Bob, I love working for you. You know, I've learned so much of this company. You know, I pride myself on being a team player. You know, I work really hard and I kind of find myself in this situation where I honestly, you know, I feel like I'm damned if I do and I'm damned if I don't. And he's like, oh, drop the little bomb on the table for a second. Just be quiet. He's like, well, what do you mean? What are you talking about? Well, you know, I, you know, here I am, I find myself in this situation, you know, I, I don't really know how to handle this. And so you're, you're kind of, you're, you start positive and you're getting to the heart of the matter. And, and where I say people should pivot with to the heart of the matter, you don't say, Hey, Bob, I love working for you. All these things are going well, you know, and I think that, you know, I'm really happy in my job, but And as soon as you say, but people sort of forget all the positive stuff you just said. So you transition with my concern is if I demand the raise, I look like a jerk, but if I don't fight for myself, that seems very weak to me. So I'm, you know what, I'm just seeking some clarity here. 
And so when you get to the heart of the matter and you use phrases that are very soft like that, my concern is this, I'm just seeking clarity. And then, you know, that conversation is kind of at the bottom of the U where you're going to get to the heart of the matter. And as you transition away from it, you have to end positive. So that's the, the big capital U and you end on a positive note. It's a really great tactic. It works with your kids. It works with your spouse. It works with your boss. It works with your customers because it's, you're not skirting around. You're not bullshitting somebody. You're, you're telling them good things about you, about them, about the situation. You're getting to the heart of the matter and you transition away. You know, I'm really glad we had this conversation. You know, this relationship, this company means a lot to me. You know, sometimes sparks fly, you know, iron sharpens iron. So one man sharpens another. Some sparks fly when iron sharpens iron, but I feel like we're in a better place and I really, I really appreciate you. So that's one way. In sales, we just call that, you know, we just call that, you know, a shit sandwich, right? <laughs> a compliment followed by the shit followed by another compliment. I didn't know but, it was a shit sandwich. Riv, it's the shit sandwich. Riv taught me the capital U. I'll have to tell Riv it's a shit sandwich. But, uh, I, I, I prefer, now I now prefer the, the U uh, because it yeah. is more genuine and authentic to the human nature of it. So thank you. I'm going to stop now. So well, I will add one thing to what you said though. Like I don't ever recommend people say in toxic situations in a work environment. Like I had a friend that I was coaching who was literally working for an insane person. I mean, crazy shit. Well, so and I've done that. To know what toxic means though. If you're if yeah. like toxic to me means something different than toxic to somebody else. So how do you, how are you qualifying an environment as as toxic beyond let's say beyond obvious which is like a physically a verbally abusive type situations like what other things qualify as a toxic work environment to you that somebody should run from I think if there's a lack of integrity um, in senior executives or in your line of reporting, like people are willing to lie or people are willing to do things that sort of color outside the lines a little bit too far um, you know it's, you know, I have a family, I have family members who work in the wine and the cannabis industries. And it's like, a lot of times when cannabis wasn't legal, people were, you know, it was the black market or, you know, the gray market. And now that it's legitimate in a lot of states, you still have people who are willing to color outside the lines and do shit that they shouldn't do, you know, like fudge lab numbers or do stuff like that. Like that's like, if it's bordering on that, that's, that's, uh, that's maybe that's too obvious, but that's a big one. You know, to me, if the, if the rules aren't the same for everybody, like the, th the shit that bothers me in bad sales leadership would be, okay, we have territories and this is, these are the rules. These are how you have accounts and these are deals and these are the rules for splits and these are the rules for payment and all of that, right? You have a comp plan, you have the rules. It's when somebody, a sales manager gives a deal to somebody that they shouldn't, like I've had that happen to me and you just go, did you seriously just do that? Yeah. You know, and you announced it on a team conference call. Like, that's fun. I literally just had this conversation a couple hours ago with a client of mine about creating rules of engagement and yeah. sticking with them and avoiding the sort of lobbying back and forth where people want an exception and all of that kind of stuff. So I'm a, yeah, I'm a big believer in the rule of law. Like, it's, look, this, the, you know, justice has a blindfold and a sword. Like she doesn't give a shit about your emotions or your feelings. She, it's the, the rules are the rules and they may be painful, but they are fair for everybody. If you apply them equally, if you have the equal protection under our little rules of comp and engagement and accounts, you're going to be fine. You know, I want to, I want to ask you what I think hopefully will be a, a slightly difficult question. If you're open for open to it, yeah. okay? you just spoke my language. Yeah. So you have this interesting mix to me 
of long stints, six, seven years, and sh very short sub one year stints. So how, I mean, I think it's interesting because like, here you are, you've been in sales and leadership for a long time. And it's like, well, we still fuck up too yeah. and, and, and pick the wrong horse, so to speak. Yeah. Right. What, can you talk a little bit about like how, why that you think that that's happened, you know, on more than one occasion and, mm -hmm. and what are the things that you maybe didn't learn the first time that you mm -hmm. still didn't learn the second or now you've learned after a couple yeah. of those uh, oh, for sure. You're uh, talking about more recent stuff, I assume, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, you know, when I was at Percolate, which I, you know, I, I will work for and with the founders of Percolate and anybody I worked with at Percolate, again, in a heartbeat. In fact, I'm working with somebody now that I worked with at Percolate. So I've known him for 10 years. So I, I really aspire to work with the right team. And so uh, when I left Percolate, it was kind of at a, a, a part of the evolution of the company. It's an excellent company. And then, you know, you know, people talk about regrets. It's like, if I was a regret-minded person, I might say like, hey, maybe I should have stayed at Percolate. I don't know. But I didn't leave. Yeah, I was there a while. We were at Percolate for almost four, uh, four years. Yeah, yeah, but this, this, what I'm telling you has a relevance to the question you asked. So anyway, bottom line, um, I left on great terms. Like I said, I, would, you know, I was still in touch with everybody and would work there again. I, I followed somebody from Percolate to AlphaSense. It was somebody I had worked with at three different companies. So we'd work together at Gerson Lehrman Group. We'd work together at Percolate. And then we went to work together at AlphaSense. So I was invited to come to AlphaSense and I was thrilled to do it. And I, I viewed it as I'm going to try this for a year to see if they need me. So my superpower is building rapport with very senior executives and to handle very large strategic deals. So I'm not good at, you know, hunting a thousand accounts or 10,000 accounts or 600 accounts. That's not my specialty. My specialty is dealing with a handful of very large customers and dealing with very senior people. That's what I'm really good at. And so I went to AlphaSense is like, Hey, I'm going to come here for a year and see like, do you need somebody like me? They did not need somebody like me. AlphaSense is a great company. It's an excellent product. I love the people there. They did not need me to close, you know, $8,000, $10,000 deals every month or every other week. It's just not, it's not my strength. Great product. I love it. I would actually like to have a license to it. It's awesome. So I stayed there for a year and somebody I met from this, this community of podcast individuals. So uh, Scott Ingram, who has sales success stories. I've spoken at his uh, summit in Austin. I've been a guest on his podcast. I'm one of his co-authors. And somebody I met through that community, David Weiss, invited me to join ADP. And I said, you're out of your mind. I don't want to go to ADP. It's a huge company. That's not my specialty. I'm really good at startups and small companies. He's like, oh, you'll you love it. Compared to Johnson & Johnson, it's a huge company? <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, J&J &J was like in the 90s, dude. Come on. Like, that's another lifetime. So, uh, but anyway, working for J&J, J&J is an awesome freaking company. It's a great company. Anyway, so I went to ADP. I love the people there. It just was not a good culture fit for me. And then, you know, and I, I had the opportunity. How do you love the people there, but it's not a good culture fit? Help me understand. So it's, it's the way that you have to get things done. So there are nice people working there. They're good to work with. Like I worked for a great person. I had great teammates, but just getting anything done at ADP and this is not a knock against ADP. I mean, it's a fine company, but it's just, you had to, I don't know. I think the people who are most successful at ADP and like I said, it's, I'm not trying to throw anybody under the bus, but I think you have to start at ADP when you're very young and kind of grow up there. People who come in from the outside, it's kind of, it's, 
there's like family secrets or something. It's very strange. And you, you said earlier you hate them. So <laughs> I think your mic is gone. Are you there? Can you hear him, Richard? You guys hear me? I can't. Now I can't because you came off mute. That's the first time Scott didn't do that after he rails on me. After seven months, your your bad habits. No, and and I don't I don't mean to use imprecise language. So it just it it just wasn't a good fit. And in the face of a a decent fit, where it's like it's a nice place to work, I could have made it work. Um, but then somebody I've known for 10 years says, I really want you to come and work for me. I'm not going to say no to that because remember one of my things is I want to be the person that somebody would hire again. And so being privileged to work with Kiva Colstein and for him at GLG at Percolate at AlphaSense, and then being able to work with Paul Giske at GLG at Percolate and now at Kinetic, I'm not going to pass that up because I want to work with my tribe. That's really cool. I love that. By the way, that that's the best definition of culture I've heard after everybody spouting about it for two or three years is, you know, it's not about the people you like. It's about what does it take to get something done in the company that and, and can you live with it? Right. Like yeah. to they're like, I was I was never the political guy. I could never be successful. I don't think at a place like Salesforce where you have to play that game. Um, mm -hmm. But there are lots of people who are and that's, you know, hats off to them. But that. That really, and they love it. It's a good yeah, company. Yeah, and they do. And they, and you know, by all means, some of my closest friends mm -hmm. were. Um, yeah. I'm going to pivot a little bit. Um, I want to come back to some stuff you said earlier about you being your best you, you defining, you know, I, and I loved your quote of, you know, I always want to be the, the, the woman my husband wants to remarry or the mom my kids, you know, don't want to be embarrassed by um, <laughs> until they're teenagers, I think. But... Um, <laughs> How do you do that? Like, how do you take care of that mental side of you? Because it does take effort, in my opinion, for some, well, let me rephrase that. For me, it, take, it has taken effort, and now I'm much better at it. And I've gone, gone done my therapy, and I've talked about all this stuff mm -hmm. before. But what are the things you do to really make sure you're there and present about those things? Yeah, so, I mean, I'm a person of very deep faith. And so, for me, God is, is really important. Um, I can't really do anything without him. Uh, so that's the number one thing. So it's my faith. So I try to have some habits that, that help me with that. So number one, it's like this book right here is my journal. And so I try to spend quiet time every morning um, reading and reflecting and kind of thinking about the big rocks for the day or the week. You know, so before the week starts, we kind of think about what are the big rocks that go in there? You guys have heard that Stephen Covey exercise where you put the big rocks in the, you know, like you have rocks, you have pebbles, you have sand in the medium-sized rocks. If you put the sand in first, like all the little shit like emails, you're not going to fit the big rock like your marriage or your kids in. So big rocks first. And so I try to prioritize that. And um, my coach, so I work with an executive coach I have since 2013, and he was the person who gave me my first quota carrying role. Um, and we, we coach and mentor people in our spare time together in like evenings and weekends and stuff. And, um, and early mornings, sometimes at 5 a.m. Uh, he taught me that, uh, Jacqueline, uh, are this, uh, this guy you're so upset about, is he going to go to your funeral? I was like, whoa, that's a deep question for a Tuesday. <laughs> you know, that was when he said it to me. And I was like, probably not. He's like, why don't you give it the appropriate energy? So it's, you know, it's about prioritizing. Um, it's really easy to get upset 
and frustrated at things you can't control and give them your energy and then snap at your spouse or your kids or your dog or whatever. And those people are not going to be at your funeral. So that perspective to me is really important. So the quiet time, the prioritize, you know, prioritizing things that, that really matter. And so I almost died in 2017 of leukemia on a business trip with my CEO, Noah Breyer, and with TJ Bonaventura and Manus Kulkarni, if you're listening, I love you guys. Uh, we were seeing the CMO at Verizon uh, in, uh, outside of uh, D.C. We were in New Jersey first with a bunch of meetings. I wasn't feeling well. Decided to go to urgent care, and they got antibiotics, and we fly to D.C., and I'm just getting worse by the minute, and I'd been feeling ill for about a week and a half. I had a really bad flu. This is bad. Woke up in the morning. I was like, I think I should go to the hospital. So I told me if I, doctor told me if I'd gone back to sleep in my hotel room, I would have died in my sleep. And he told me if I had taken an ambulance to GW instead of going to the community hospital, I would have died in the ambulance. So I was about an hour and a half away from dropping dead. And that is something I think about not to be depressing, but more like, you know what? This stuff isn't so bad. Yeah. This stuff is not so bad. I mean, it certainly provides perspective. On, on everything. I'm not sure if, if you know, but I yeah. spent I spent four years in the hospital in my early 20s. I did um, not know that. Yeah, fighting fighting for my life, and I had two emergency surgeries, and had the priest come in, and you know, dude, me and talk to my parents because they didn't think I was going to make it out and all this kind of stuff. So, jeez, uh, I can. It relate. gives you a lot of perspective. It, it, it really does. It really does. You know, and especially around your comments about like, well, I'm not really going to worry about that thing. I'm going to let that thing slide. That person won't be at my funeral. It's like, it's, it's a lot easier to focus on the things that matter, you know, when you've had an experience like the one that you're, you're describing, you know? Yeah. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. And, there, and a lot of people have those experiences, mm-hmm. you know, it's, 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 I remember thinking in the hospital and when they gave me the diagnosis, I was like, Wow, I have radical clarity at this moment right now. Woo, <laughs> shit, that cleared my head. <laughs> like, yeah. that, that, don't worry about that. I don't worry about that. I was yeah. at UCSF for 30 days. Um, that's, where, that's where I was for a lot longer than 30 days, but that's the same. Well, we'll, have, to, we'll have to talk about UCSF sometime. Yeah, I have a feeling. On, uh, on hospital food and things like this. <laughs> we actually had good food. But you were, anyway. Yeah. So it's, to me, it's just like, that's how I maintain that perspective. And I, you know, look, I fall, like I have my days where I have a pity party or I, you know, bitch at my boss or about something and, you know, but I usually snap out of it pretty quick. Probably because of that perspective, you know. Real one last question before we try to wrap up and get out of here. What is your advice? What is your advice for somebody who's seeking a, a mentor? How does, how does somebody go about finding the right mentor for them in your mind? Hmm. Well, so I think, you know, mentors are really important. Um, and I think it, it's, they're different things to different people. I really have a lot of respect for people who have asked me to be their mentor and, and really worked at it. So a lot of times people will say like, hey, would you be my mentor? And they look for help, but then it's kind of, you know, they don't really follow up or they don't really show much initiative. There's this woman I met through um, the sales rebellion 
And uh, she and I have had a couple of calls and she just kind of asked me like, would I be willing to catch up with her now and again? And she's, her name's Karen. She's like, I'm not going to give her last name because I don't know if I have her permission to do that, but she's just on the ball. Like she will text me. She'll check in with me. She'll see how things are going. Um, you know, she's transitioning from working internationally. She moved back here with her husband right before the pandemic. And it's like, what a freaking nightmare, you know, she's in the middle of now. She's like, I didn't think it was going to be like this. Like, nobody did. And, uh, so she's like, awesome. So I would say if you seek out a mentor, it's a very personal choice and you're going to kind of know who you want to mentor you. Like, I know I want to talk to you guys again, not necessarily that you'd be my mentors or anything, but like, you know, when you meet your tribe, you know, you've met your tribe. Right. And I have been so blessed by the people I've met through this, this experience of the pandemic. And, you know, even in my sales walk, it's kind of cool. And if you're going to seek out somebody as a mentor, my, my advice to a person seeking a mentor is don't be lazy. Don't be lazy. Don't just expect somebody to hand you something like, you know, take the initiative, reach out to your, the person mentoring you, follow up with them. Yeah. Yeah. Don't be lazy. Well, what can we do to, to help and support you, Jacqueline? Is there anything that comes to mind? You know, I think, you know, the thing I'm passionate about is helping other people. Um, and I would just say to you, you know, if you have somebody in your sphere and your circle of influence, you know, and you, you're worried about them or you're thinking about them that day, do me a favor and reach out to them when you think of it. Cause you never know, like somebody could be really having a bad time, a rough day. And sometimes the universe puts out a little signal to you to, you thought of someone and you should reach out to them. Um, and I am very passionate about um, something that has been brought to my attention during this pandemic, which is this kind of crisis around the world around human trafficking. And I am just sick of it. And I hope it people just be aware of it and wake up and. Is, and there, is there a particular organization there that you, you know, throw your support behind that, that people could check out to learn more about this crisis? Well, the one, one organization I know has been doing some good work is it's a, and so I come from a military family um, and my husband was in the military and there's this group that's veterans for child rescue. Um, I, I don't know enough about them. I'm not endorsing them, but I just know that they're, they're trying to really do some good work. Um, and that's the one I'm aware of, but it's just, you know, just the, the subject in general, just being aware of it. And if you see something to try to help somebody, you know, cause depending on where you live, it can be an issue right around you. And I think it's even funny. Like I would see, you'd see notices in bathrooms or, or billboards that you didn't used to see. Right. It seems like more people are getting aware of it. And I don't, maybe that's a depressing topic to think of, but I think it's one we should be caring about, you know? Yeah, I absolutely agree. It's, it's very interesting. It's so and I think it's in every community as much as I hate to say it, right? Yeah, to some extent. Um, and it, it's, and to a certain extent, it's not even, it's not just the trafficking, it's just sort of the exploitation of yeah. most likely women, but not to say mm-hmm. that it doesn't happen to boys and men. So I, I agree yeah. with you 100%. Um, yeah. Well, thank you Let's so much. Let's fight it together. We're good people. Yeah. Let's fight this shit. <laughs> Well, thank you. I have so to much. tell you guys, this was one of the most interesting podcasts. You guys are you guys are awesome. I love this. I hope I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I I I really appreciate it. This was, was fun. Fascinating for me. Like tons of like old school knowledge with some simple simple answers 
for me. That's how, that's what I'm getting out of it. So I loved it as well. I would love to talk to you again offline or online. Like I don't care. I love it. Definitely. Yeah. Let's do it. You guys are awesome. Keep doing the, the work you're doing. It's amazing. And these connections right now, I think that's been the hardest thing for me since, uh, since March is I'm a connector. I'm a people person. Like I like to be with people and this is, this is a, a crappy substitute, but it's a pretty enlightening one and, and an energizing one when you've got nothing else. So yeah. I, <laughs> I wish I was with you guys in person, but this was pretty cool. So thank you. Ah, thank you so much. We appreciate it. And, and of course, we got to give a shout out to our friends over at Lead 411. If you don't know who it is, go back to the beginning and listen to the really cool deep voice guy who does it better. Than Lead 411. That's pretty really good. good. That's really yeah. good. Yeah. Maybe, In fact, maybe we, we should make all the guests do it. So. There you go. I so, know. I love thanks, Jacqueline. We appreciate it. Right. You got it, guys. Have a great weekend, okay? You too. Have some, Bye. Have some good wine or something. 